the uh, scripture for today uh, comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Be reading from the NIV. Again, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged accordingly to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Before I get started, can we talk about how beautiful this backdrop looks? The decoration team, please. They did a great job. And the weather this morning, what? Why is it snowing? <laughs> it's spring. I woke up and I look outside and I see flakes. I forgot that I was nervous this morning. <laughs> I was like, for crying out loud. As you can see, Doug and Wes finally got me up here to preach. I knew it would come. I knew I sealed my fate when I told him I took a preaching class. I just told him I took it. I didn't say I did stellar or anything, but... <laughs> Here I am, but I am glad to be here despite that. I want you to picture this. You are with a group of people. They could be your friends, people you work with, or acquaintances. Maybe not your close friends, but people you are familiar with. You know that they might not be Christians, but you're still connected with them. They invite you to participate in some sort of activity. Maybe it is playing a prank on someone, probably in poor taste, or maybe it is gossiping about someone behind their back, or maybe it's going to some sort of party where you don't know what all is going to happen. And this makes you uncomfortable because you know that you are a Christian and you know that these are things that you don't want to take a part of and you don't want to do that. Because you know it's wrong. And you choose not to participate. We've all been in a similar situation where we have been put at odds with what we believe. And we're being pressured by those around us to do these things that we don't want to do. And when we choose not to, it makes us seem like we are the outlier, we're different, we're stick in the mud or we're a misfit or an outsider, like we don't belong. But you see, as Christians, we recognize that we often put ourselves at odds with what is the common practice of the world. We read the Bible and we see that this is a common theme starting all the way back in the Old Testament. God calls Abraham to be different, to follow him, when Abraham knew nothing about him. 
We see the same thing with the nation of Israel. God calls them to be different, to stand apart from the rest of the world, and to be an example. And then in the New Testament, Jesus comes, and he's the ultimate form. He shows us how to live, how to live for God. And he takes it a step further than what anyone else had done before. But I won't go any farther than that, and I'll come back to the scripture here. 1 Peter 4, 1-6, a small passage, but there's so much going on in it. There's so many different parts, and everything I've talked about up to this point, there's a little bit of it inside of these six verses. But before I just dive into talking about just this part, I think it's important, and it's a personal goal of mine. Whenever I'm working with scripture, I like to put it in the context that it belongs. I like to understand the history, the culture that it was written in, the text that leads up to it. I think that's so important to leave, let the text speak for itself. Don't take it out of context. So I do like my history, so indulge me for a second as I kind of set the scene for this. The epistle of 1 Peter, written by the apostle Simon Peter, was probably written in the 40s to 50s AD. So during that time, well, it's difficult to say exactly, but this is generally what they assume it to be. And the reason this is, is because during that time period, there was an emperor of Rome called Emperor Nero. Now, if you know the name Emperor Nero, you know that Emperor Nero is a bad dude. And if you don't, Emperor Nero is a bad dude. (laughs) As far as Roman emperors go, he might have been the most wicked. And even by Roman standards, he was considered to be a wicked and cruel ruler. But Nero is known for specifically having a hatred for Christians. He almost made it a personal goal of his, if you will, to persecute Christians and uh, martyr Christians as well during his rule. And it kind of happened throughout the whole time, but specifically towards the end, there is an example where the city of Rome in 64 AD almost entirely burned to the ground. And there's evidence that points to Emperor Nero being the one who actually started the fire himself. But he took the opportunity to blame Christians for that. And he used it as an opportunity to heavily persecute and to go as far as to crucify and find other ways of torturing Christians. And it was actually by Nero's hand that Peter died. But I'm just talking about this to set the context. This scripture, 1 Peter, is probably actually written before that, right before that, which is kind of ironic because the way that it is written almost prepares the early church for this period. So this passage talks about persecution, dealing with things that are struggle outside pressures, and it was probably more likely that it was the constant pressure of the Roman Empire of being in a place where you are alone, where you are considered different, where you are the minority. Now let's look a little bit at the scripture leading up to our passage. First Peter, the epistle, talks a lot about what we describe is Jesus as the suffering servant. How Jesus serves those around us, puts himself second, and ultimately suffers a painful death on the cross. 
so that we might be saved, that we might be able to no longer have to deal with that pain, that we were no longer bogged down by sin. And the end of chapter 3, right before the last few verses, before chapter 4, it really captures this imagery. Peter encourages the reader to get be, to stay blameless and stay good. And it is better to do that than to do evil. Because that is exactly what Christ did. Even though his body was broken, he remained blameless and without fault. Even those that were crucifying him had to make things up. They had to make false accusations in order to get him to the point to be crucified. Be crucified excuse me. And after that, he rose from the dead and sits with authority by the right hand of God. And then this leads us right to our passage. And Peter starts in on verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Peter picks up right where he leaves off at the end of chapter 3. Be like Christ in how you represent yourselves. Because if you are willing to suffer and endure it, then you are done with sin and you are on the right path. You see, the constant struggle with temptation is a sign that, that you feel that burden and is a sign that you are done with sin. You are choosing to step away from that sinful life. The struggle marks repentance. That's not to say that once you become a Christian, once you make that step, that it's going to be all perfect. It will be hard. And it will get harder as you take that step. And that doesn't mean that you won't fail either. There will be times where you might slip up. It might be hard. But the sign that it burdens you, that it is hard, marks the sign that you have turned away and you are moving your life in the right direction. If you are willing to suffer... You are done with sin. Looking at verse 2 into the start of 3. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do. Now, I might be reading a little bit into this too much, but I think that Peter speaks here from his personal experience. Because Peter has made the same mistakes. He has put himself first before what God wanted him to do. You think about when Peter denies Jesus, when Peter says different things throughout the time he's with Jesus. And Peter is the perfect example, in my opinion, of I've been there and done that. (laughs) Here's how I imagine Peter. I imagine Peter as being that TV character in your favorite show that has that massive growth arc from the beginning all the way to the end. (laughs) At first, you don't like him. He says things that annoy you or frustrate you. He does things. You're just like, Peter, why why would you do that? Why would you say that or why would you do those things? Because you know he missed it. He didn't understand. And it seems that every other time Peter's with Jesus, he's saying something and you're like, Oh, no, Peter, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? But by the end of that TV show, after six seasons or whatever, you see him come around, and he's like, he does something that amazes you. He gets it. He's come so far. 
because you've seen him comfort where he was. And Peter talking in First Peter here, we're talking this is 50 years down the road for him. He gets it. He understands what it means to follow Jesus, how that looks, how to live your life for God. Peter makes the remark that they have lived this life in the past. They have changed. They have diverted from it. But because they have chosen Christ, they no longer live for themselves, but for the will of God. They have done away with living for personal gain. And here's something I think is overlooked. Peter acknowledges that there was a point where they weren't, where they are now where they had to grow to get there, like I talked about. Peter knows that because he had to grow too. Peter doesn't make the assumption that we are perfect, but that they have grown from where they used to be. And Peter encourages us for doing this. Because once you make that turn, you'll change forever. And the amount of time in your life that you've spent caught in a life that isn't following Jesus is too much. And it's better to be gone and done away with it. Now looking at three into four. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. The lifestyle that Peter is writing about is completely different from what we as Christians live or choose to live by. But it's easily recognizable. We know what it looks like. We see the signs. In this time, these parties that he's talking about, these, the way he's describing it here, we're all about getting drunk, losing your identity, going crazy, and pursuing whatever sexual desire you want. These parties would spill into the streets and cause damage. In some translation, the word, use of the word orgies is there. And this word is used to describe a group of pe- drunken people wildly staggering through the streets and causing a scene and chaos. Another aspect of this culture is the worship of multiple deities and idolatry. I mean, there was a God for everything. You name it, there was a God for it. And in many ways, the reason it was all right in this culture to act in these ways, to do these things, was because the gods said it was okay, that they wanted you to do it. And here's the thing. They expect everyone to be like them, right? They expect you to go along with the flow. And it's not okay for you to not do that, because this is how life is. You do these things. You act in this way. And when someone chooses to not be like that, it's annoying. And they're like, why are you being like that? Why are you being difficult? Do what we're doing. And they might even go as far as to attack you. And they might persecute you, right? Especially what's happening here, what Peter's talking about. The Romans would hold it over them. And they would go after them individually. They would call you strange and outcast, antisocial. And as I said, at this time, they might go as far as harming you physically. Okay, I slipped up. I said Romans one time here. But if you were paying attention, I never mentioned at any other point. And you'll note that I I did this 
because I think this passage and what it's talking about is timeless in a way. It can fit into our culture now when you look around and you look at what's being talked about. Peter's writing about the Romans, but the text here fits. Look around the world and think about how we are encouraged to live. And I'm paraphrasing here. Do and pursue whatever brings you happiness. Have relationships with whoever you want, male or female. Your truth is whatever you want it to be. Believe whatever you want. As I said, I'm paraphrasing, but you begin to see the picture. This text was written 2,000 years ago, and the world hasn't changed that much. The names of things and certain activities might be different, and we may not be getting killed for what we believe, at least here in the U.S., but when you think about maybe culturally, I think of cancel culture, canceled socially, a social death, a cultural death for what you believe. The Bible is still appropriate and still culturally relevant, even though it was written long ago. But let me get back to the last part of this passage. Five and six. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Now, Peter comes here and reminds us almost twofold. One, that those that are persecuting, the ones that are harming you and making your life difficult, they are held accountable in the end by Jesus after this life. And he reminds us, secondly, that we can have faith because the gospel and the message it has saves us. And even when we die physically and we are harmed physically, if we believe in the gospel and in Jesus Christ, we will have the opportunity to live spiritually with God. And that is the life that we are truly living for. For the physical life is only temporary. We are mortal. So what is the main point of this passage? Is it to stand firm? Don't allow yourselves to be pressured by society into sitting. Separate ourselves from the rest of the world. It could be. I've talked a lot about that. That seems to be kind of a focus. And I think it is a part of this passage and a message that we should have. But I don't think it is the focus of this passage. I don't think this is what Peter is getting at. I don't think God wants us to be focused on simply just preventing ourselves from sinning. You see, that's the mistake the leaders of Israel made in the New Testament. They created rules on rules to prevent themselves from sinning. It's like 500 rules or something like that. They created rules to prevent themselves from falling into sin, and they were so worried about following those rules that they were blinded from the salvation that was there right in front of them. They missed Jesus, and they actually crucified him. That is not the message of this passage. Instead, I think this is what the passage is saying. Because you have been changed by Jesus, stand firm and live for God and his grace. I'll say that again. Because you have been changed by Jesus, stand firm and live for God and his grace. You can underline in bold, live and capitalize all its letters, because I think that's the most important, is to live. 
live is most important. Not sit idly by and bide your time or never interact with the rest of the world because we are afraid. And we don't want to be tested because we don't want to fail. We don't want to fall short. But here's the thing. We are going to fall short. We are going to slip up. That is going to happen. That is a part of life. And if we are so worried about falling short, about sinning, about making mistakes, you're even more likely to make that because you're so focused on it. The focus of this passage, as I pointed out, is not on identifying what is wrong with the world, but reminding us that even when we feel surrounded and feel cast out by society, even if, if we are living according to the Bible, then we are living in accord with what God has called us to do. Live your life in a way that honors God. Live your life so that you are following Jesus. And you might say that's good and well, but how do we do that? How do we live for God? What does that look like? Peter was thinking of you, and he was thinking of everyone. He was thinking ahead, because remember, Peter is like us. Peter made mistakes. He had to go through that to find the answers. And because of learning from Jesus from trial and error, Peter knows what it takes and how to live for God. In the following verses 7 through 11, Peter wrote what it takes to live for God. In verse 7 through 10, you can read, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Don't allow yourself to be consumed by your emotions and your passions from day to day, so much that it affects how you pray. When you pray, don't allow these things to influence you in your relationship with God. Instead, focus on how you, God, through God, you can impact the world. Be selfless in your prayers. Put others before yourself. And love. Love others because that's how you fix what is wrong with this world. When people make mistakes, when people fall down, show them love and help them back up. Because we are all going to fall and we all need to be loved. Be hospitable. Invite people into your home out of the kindness of your heart. Those that need it, help them out and build them up. Serve those around you by providing for them. And use our God-given gifts to serve others. They're God-given for a reason. God gave each and every one of you a gift that you can use to show his grace to everyone out there in the world. I'd like to invite the worship team up here. In verse 11, Peter brings it full circle for us to what is most important. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ to him, be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I almost don't even want to say anything after that because Peter lays it out so well. In everything we do, we are called to live our lives in a way that brings honor and praise.
to God through Jesus Christ, who was and is our example of how to live for God. Live your life so that others can experience God's grace through you.